there was an article in the Wall Street Journal by an anonymous contributor who defined wealth as the universal passport to everywhere except heaven and said money is also the universal provider for everything except happiness. Now, money on money, he won't tell you that part. He'll tell you to think twice before you let that thing go. And so we're in this series um, called Jesus on Money. If this is your first time with us, you're probably saying, oh, church is always talking about money. But it's for good reason. We're, we're not doing it to fill the offering buckets. We're doing it because it goes much deeper than the, the material and the physical action of giving. When you look at what Scripture says, it goes much deeper and deals with our attitude toward money. Because like in Jesus' time, money was risky. It's a risk to have money because just like then, now we, can, we think that that's the end versus the means to the end, and, and, and money is the solution to life's problems. And Jesus spoke, uh, other than the kingdom of God, the next thing was about material possessions and money because it, he knew what a hold it could have on us. And so that's why we're, we've begun this series called Jesus on Money. And trying to give the perspective of what the Bible says about our wealth and how we are to handle it. Mark, the site pastor for Wakefield, was in here in the first week and did a great job of talking about giving back to God, which we all know is as the tithe. And he gave a great history lesson, rewinding all the way back to the Old Testament and going over and helping us understand that it was a law there to provide for the less fortunate, for the poor. It provided clothes, it provided money, it provided food. And then he kind of moved to the New Testament, and you see that the references are really just pointing back to a, the Old Testament teaching. And so you, you start to wonder, hey, are we released from giving back? And Mark just did a great job, is, is, is helping us understand, no, we are to give beyond the tithe and spirit, because it's the spirit of the heart that God was really getting at with the notion of giving back. And then Donnie was in here last week, the lead pastor, talking about there's this opposing force that as you start to give, there's this opposing force called greed that kind of starts to pull at you the, the other way. And he, he was talking about uh, one way to determine greed is to look at what you do with the extra. And I came into some wealth at age 20. I was young. I remember it's summertime. My family was actually, uh, I was working a summer job, so I stayed at home. My family was away at the campground. And I had finished the second shift at Polaroid. And I was, got up late that morning, ran some errands, and I stopped by a convenience store to pick up some things. And one of the things I picked up was a little scratch-off ticket. Now, I don't believe in the lottery, but I was young and foolish, and I picked up one of these scratch-off tickets. And I, you know, before I left that store, I did a little scratching, and I won $40. That's not, hey, for a 20-year-old, that's nice cash. So what did I do with that extra? I did not get my car. I turned around. I went to the cashier, and I said, I would like 40 more scratch-off tickets. And then my parents were in the first service. They came over. We did not know you did that. <laughs> um, I went home. I took those 40 scratch-off tickets, and I sat at the table, and I scratched each one off, and I put a a winning pile and a losing pile. And I think there was only one that was in the winning pile, and it was for $2. I had blown all of that money. See, with having money comes the responsibility. 
And Donnie challenged us at the end of last week when he was talking about greed. He said, kind of giving us a glimpse into what we'll talk about today. He said, be generous toward God. You want to combat the greed, be generous toward God. Be rich. And so today, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at generosity. What does it mean to be rich toward God? And this is one of those lessons that you, if you don't get it, if you don't live this as part of your life, you're, you're missing out on something. I have a white Nissan Sentra that two years ago, it was during the spring, I was driving that thing around, and I, I work on Durant Road, and I'm driving home, and it would buck. I mean, it would violently throw me. Luckily, I was uh, seat belted in, but my head would flip around, and it would misfire. I was, what ended up happening was I was operating on three cylinders instead of four cylinders, and I wasn't getting the ride, the power, the way the car should have been giving it to me because I was operating one down. And so it is with today's lesson, with generosity. It's about something in our life that we've, we've got to have there. Otherwise, you're, you're missing out. One of the things is, is we're not holding up our responsibility to God with that which he has given us. But the other thing is, is you're missing out on his blessing. Sometimes it comes financially, but many times it comes in so many other ways. There's uh, a quote that says, getters generally don't get happiness, but givers get it. How many times, usually you hear people very excited about giving, whether it's they've given to somebody, a church, an organization. There's a joy about giving. But how many times have you had people talk about the buyer's remorse? You see them, oh, I should not have done that. You know, where they, it was more about a need and they go do it and they're regretting it. You don't hear that with people who are giving. And so today we're going to look at this whole thing of generosity from God's eyes. And so I want to have the ushers come down with Bibles. If you do not have a Bible with you, just kind of signal to them. They will give you a Bible. It is yours to keep. If you just need to use it for the service, you know, feel free to give that back to them. But we would love for you to have a Bible at home. We believe the words in there are true and they are rich with God's wisdom. We're going to look at a story in Luke today. It's the parable of the shrewd manager. It's on page 727 of the Bibles we just handed out. Uh, a parable, this parable actually is only in Luke. Luke talks the most about possessions and wealth uh, more than any other New Testament writer. Uh, this one's only in Luke. And a parable, uh, just simplify it, and for those of you with theologians out there, you can shoot me later, but a parable it simply is, think of it as a story. Some call it an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And usually there are not a lot of meanings that are wrapped up in a parable. There's usually a very strong truth that Jesus wants us to get when, when he's using parables, because he's not the only one that used parables. They're in the Old Testament too, but when we look at the parable today, there is a truth, and it's going to be tied to generosity as we look at that today. But as we read it, there's other things there that I want to have us look at. So with the parable, I want to read it. It's a story. Pay attention to the characters. Pay attention to the movement of the story. And I want to read the full thing so that when we go through, it will make sense of what's transpired. So Luke chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? 
My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of the master's debtors and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Then the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. There is a lot in there. Again, there is a point here that Jesus wants to make, and we will get to that. But there is a lot of truths that I want to talk about as we lead up to that overall truth with this parable. Because think of what we're about to talk about as kind of soil, and it's fertile soil so that generosity can grow and can bloom and flourish. So that's what I want to look at as part of these points before the final truth there. The first thing is life is stewardship. We don't use that word steward much anymore, if at all. But a steward is somebody who managed the possessions of the master. A steward was a ruler of a household, and it was an honorable position. And you see here, you have a master, you have a steward. And so the first thing to think about our life as a steward is to know that you are his oikonomos. That is the Greek word for manager, for steward. In order for your life to be all about stewardship, you are his manager. You own nothing. All that you have been given, I mean, all that you have has been given to you by the grace of God. And so we're to realize that we are his managers. And like the servant, we have full charge. We, can, we have free will to do whatever we want with those things. Now, we can get confused. We start to think, if you're normal, uh, like I, sometimes I think I'm the owner when I should be the manager. Do you get confused like that where you think that you're the owner of this stuff? Because when you think like you're the owner, then you usually act differently because your will is different than God's will. Money is not neutral at all. It usually pulls us in certain directions. And Jesus, in the same where the parable, following the parable in verse 13, Jesus talks about this very thing. He says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Did you catch that? I mean, he opens up and says, you can't serve two masters. And he closes by telling you exactly who the masters are. God or money, you can't serve them both. And money is, is a, it can master us. We can end up being the servant of money and get pulled in different directions. Think about it. If you are an owner of, say, a piece of property, I know some of you own property, and if the poor are in your properties, then you're, you have this conflict, this potential conflict of wanting to make a profit, but at the same time, you're wrestling with maintaining a place that is in a decent, safe condition and right for somebody to live in it. And money can be a terrible master. And so if our life is to be about stewardship, 
then we cannot let money be our master. We have to have money serving us. And the way that happens is to remember we are his oikonomos. We are his managers. Put God in that position when, when he takes the position of master. And we become the servants, then money will end up becoming our servant. That's the way that things start to get turned around. And when you start to realize, I'm a manager, I'm a manager, it is freeing. It is completely freeing. Plus, you get to spend other people's money. Think about that. Have you ever spent somebody else's money? It is a blast. I used to be in the technical field, and so people will call and say, I need to buy a computer. And family and friends say, I I'll just, you know, here's the credit card number, go, and I want a laptop, blah, blah, blah. It gives me all the specs. It is a blast to go and just find out what they need. It's, it, it is fun to, real, to spend somebody else's money. But I, am resp I, I have to be, there's a responsibility that comes with that because I am to satisfy what my friends and my family want in that particular thing. And so it is with this story here, we see that the manager was a terrible steward, not living up to his responsibility with the master's goods. It says that he wasted the master's possessions, and he was called in to give an account of that. And this is where it gets a little quiet, because part of living life as full stewardship, is to realize we're the managers and we are managers that will be held accountable. God will check our bookkeeping on our stuff and how we did with it. It gets quiet now. Um, but this whole theme in Scripture, it's not something that's foreign. I mean, just back up a little bit in the Gospels and you see the parable of the talents and you see that the master's going to return and settle accounts. Later on in Luke, you, you read the parable of the ten minas and, and the king coming back to see how the money was put to work. There is this final judgment that we all are going to have to stand before Jesus Christ. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or we're away from it. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We all have to stand before Christ. And for some, that's a frightening thing. Because if you're not in Christ, that day will be a day where you're declared unrighteous. And that's why our, the mission of this church is about connecting people to God through Jesus Christ. That's what drives us because we don't want you to be there on that day. We want to hear the words, you are righteous because of your relationship with Christ. That's what drives us. Today, we're going to go to a baptism and celebrate that, people who have made him Lord and Savior. If that's not you, start wrestling with that. Right, check on the what's up card. I need to talk to a pastor. I need to be confident in this. But even for those in Christ, we will stand bef before him and have to give an account. But it won't be to determine our salvation because that will already be determined in him because of our faith in him, because he paid that sacrifice. 
But there's this notion here that it will be kind of a reviewing and a rewarding of our lives. But there's a notion of accountability. How were we as stewards with what he gave us? How did we acquire it? How did we use it? And so knowing that we are managers that are going to be held accountable should get our attention. And so something else that we want to add to this, the soil of life being stewardship is that we have to be faithful. We have to be faithful. In verse 10, Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? You see, this property that God wants to give us, this is true riches. This is of greater value, but he's saying we have to be faithful in that small stuff in order to be faithful in the large. And he ties money with it. He's saying, listen, you can't divorce the material with the spiritual. You can't do that because how you use this is an indicator of how you're going to handle something much greater. Somebody once said, you can't truthfully explain your smallest action without fully revealing your character. Are we trustworthy and faithful in the small things? This manager was not, and he found himself in a bit of hot water. He lost his job, and now he starts thinking, what do I do? Because <laughs> now, you know, what am I going to do to, he says, uh, for them to welcome me into their homes? All that means is, what am I going to do such that, what can I do for somebody? What favor can I do for them so that when I'm out of a job, they can do me a favor? I'll scratch their back, and then later on, they will scratch my back for me. And so he came up with this plan. I'll be generous. I'll be generous by forgiving the debts that people owe my master. And he goes, and it's a pretty good plan because the debts that were forgiven, if you look up in a commentary or a dictionary, you'll see that for each one, it was the equivalent of about a year and a quarter worth of salary to them that was released. I would say that's a pretty good plan. And those people would probably do a favor for him down the road. Matter of fact, in verse 8, we read, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And I get to this point in the text, and I go, wait a minute. Is the point of the parable for me to be dishonest? <laughs> you know, is Jesus commending a crook here? I mean, doesn't Jesus only use heroes in his stories? No. Go Look in Scripture, and you see that God teaches us many times through the bad men and the bad women of the Bible. He uses it to teach. And so here we just have a good lesson from a bad example. And what, what happened here in 8a, that's where the story ends. It kind of gets blurred. You're like, wait a minute, who's speaking here? 8a, as soon as that's done, that's where the story stops. And all of a sudden we get Jesus' words in 8b. And here's where we, you know, we start to turn our ear. Okay, what are you saying, Jesus? He says, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. You see, as God's managers, we have to be faithful, but he's also saying we have to use our opportunities wisely. As dishonest as this manager was, he wasn't commending him for that. He was commending him 
for making and planning and investing in the future. He took that opportunity and turned around and started investing in his future. Life no longer was all about enjoyment. It was, what am I going to do with the future? And Jesus says, people of this world, that's unbelievers. He's saying, Christ followers, will you pay attention to them? Look, they are masterminds. They are so good at making friends, getting money, and getting ahead. Pay attention to them. He calls the Christ followers people of the light. He says, listen, they're wise in their own generation. They see just here and now. You see here and now, but you have eternity in view. He's saying, use your opportunities wisely, is what he's saying. And so is our life more about enjoyment or is it about investing? Are we investing wisely? And for me, what does that mean? And then in verse 9, he gives us some insight into what using it wisely means. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into, into eternal dwellings. Some of your translations may end by saying, so that they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. There'll be a time in, where life will end here on earth. We will not need to acquire money. We will not need to use money. And so this is a call to be generous with our wealth. And he says to gain friends. What's that all about? But look at the kind of friends. He says, so that they will welcome you into heaven. There's something about our investment with our friends here, our time, our money, our resources, that it has an eternal impact. And so for me, that raises a question. How do I use my money, my wealth, to use it wisely and to gain friends? And when you study Scripture... You know this, you don't just look at, you know, right there at the text. You look around at the paragraphs, the chapter, the book, the, where the book falls in God's story. And you don't have to go far to start to realize what he means by using it wisely. If you kind of back up in the chapter 15 of Luke, you see parables of the lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the, the lost son. And you see the whole point about God being concerned for those who are separated from the kingdom that don't know him, and he will do everything to go in search of. And there will be a celebration when one joins God's kingdom. And then if you go to the end of this, this parable, the end of this chapter, you see God talking to the Pharisees. At the top was the disciples, and at the bottom he's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones who were all about using other people's wealth. They were using people to get their wealth, to get what they wanted. And Jesus rejected that notion. He's saying, no, people are the prize. People are of greater value than stuff. And when you look throughout Scripture, that's the thing that you see is God wants us to be concerned for and to care for people. And I'm going to say to care for the poor. And I want to dissect that a little bit here. There's the materially poor that we are called to have concern and care for. These are the people, when you look in Scripture, they're the less fortunate. They had no means of supporting themselves. They try as hard as they can. It wasn't in place for them to be able to do that. 
and you look at the Old Testament, the law had provisions to make sure that they had food and they had clothing and debts and stuff were canceled. You see Jesus coming and, and in that same spirit saying to give to those who are the least, right? And they say, well, when did we do that? When you gave to the least of these, you, you did it for me. Oh, you see the early church, read Acts. And they are encouraged to share their possessions with those who are around them and who needed them. Jesus' brother, James, read the first chapter. He's talking about living out your faith and what is true religion. And it's religion that takes care of the fatherless, the widows, the foreigners. And so it's a call for us to use our wealth. If we're going to use it wisely, we need to use our money to provide for the less fortunate. They're still here today. They're in this congregation. They're in our neighborhoods. They're in our places of work. There are still the fatherless, the widows, the sick, people in prisons. There are kids without fathers. There are addicts who have ruined their lives, but now they're trying as hard as they can and genuinely to turn their lives around, and they need somebody to take a second chance on them. And we have a call to use our wealth, spend to help those who are in need. You do it each week here in big ways. You give to the church, and the church gives to those who are in need. Or we, the church pays electric bills for, for the heat to stay on that month. They buy gift cards. They buy gas cards. Uh, sometimes rent is paid. Uh, Thanksgiving meals. You guys bought 117 meals for people. And they were delivered yesterday. There were 40 left over. And Frosty pulled up and went into the projects downtown. And those meals were gone. And families were so happy. They couldn't comprehend why things were just being given away. That's using your wealth to provide for the poor, the less fortunate. But we're called as individuals to keep doing that. You can look around. There are... They need rides. Maybe you can give somebody a ride. Transportation is critical. Maybe you have a car that somebody who has worked to pull themselves up and they're doing it. They just need a car. You can find out these needs. Call organizations in Raleigh. There are plenty of them. Call the office if you don't know who they are. What do you need? And then you invest your money so that they can provide for them. I want to just throw out something for you here. As far as big ways, today, some of you have wealth, some of you have life skills that are so important when, people, when we're trying to provide for those who are less fortunate. I want, if that's you today, if you have money and you want to, when, a, when something like that comes about, you want to be called upon to hear about the story, either for your money or for the skill that you could provide, be it financial wisdom, be it you're a mechanic and you can help somebody understand what it means to maintain a car. Do this. On your WhatsApp card, put a P and circle it. And then just put, put a dollar sign if it means I would like to invest if you hear of an opportunity. Or if it's a skill, put that there. We will put it in the database. We hear of needs. And I will search on those. And I will call and share with you the story. And maybe invite you in to invest your wealth to help for those who are in need. Use your wealth for the less fortunate but I got to go to another place because we can provide for the needs. We can feed all day long. 
But if we do not feed the soul, we are not fully caring for people. That is such an important thing for us to think about. And don't get me wrong. I'm not implying that the poor do not know Jesus because most of the poor know Jesus. They know what it means to be bankrupt and to own nothing. They know that they're managers. And if they don't know Christ, they are at such a spot to say, I'm yours. All that I have and all that I had before was really a gift. I'm yours. So I don't, I'm not saying that the poor don't know Jesus at all. There's this debate that goes on in the Christian community. There are some camps that say, they go to extremes. Some camps that say, you know, how do we address the suffering in the here and now? We just got to do that. That's, that's the key. And then you've got over here, it's the gospel. Just get the gospel to them. And I love what John Piper said. It wasn't in an interview. And I want to read you his words about this, this fighting that goes on in the Christian community. He says, don't choose between one or the other. All suffering concerns Christ, and so it should us. Don't ignore eternal suffering because it's far greater than earthly suffering. And if you find in your heart resistance toward eternal suffering or you find in your heart resistance against all suffering here and now, then either you have a defective view of the horror of hell or you have a defective heart. We are to care for the less fortunate and we are to care for the spiritually poor, those who do not know Christ. We're to care for both of those. I mean, you see in Isaiah, he was prophesying about the Messiah that was to come and to release people from the darkness of being separated from God. You see Jesus coming and confirming that message and saying, I'm that one. Here's what it's about. And he challenged the disciples. He said, now go and share that message with the world. And because they did that, because the early church saw that they were entrusted with the gospel message, they went running with it. I'm a believer. I will be in heaven because somebody took it seriously and they went and they cared for my soul. We are to do that. We are to make heavenly kingdom investments. How do you do that with your wealth? Now, certainly you can do it with your stories. That's free. Share your life with somebody about what Christ did. But he's talking wealth here. How do you do that? It's a neat story. We're going to go to a baptism today, and we give out Bibles, uh, study Bibles. They're great. They're like $60, $70. It happens because there, there was a man named Sam who was a founding member of this church. He owned dealerships throughout his career, car dealerships. And he took his own money. He'd go buy these Bibles and he would put them in every car that was sold. He would open the glove compartment and put God's word in there. He was taking his own money, investing it, and making it a kingdom investment. Well, Sam passed away and he is in heaven now, but his small group continues to shell out money to put God's word in people's hands. You can use your wealth. There are kids who do not have it's a single-parent home. They're not going to go to a mission camp. They're not going to go to a VBS. They just need some financial assistance. You can make that happen. You do. There are ways to call Raleigh Rescue Mission, Salvation Army. Call them. Because 
as you invest in them, not only will the stomach be fed, but their soul will be fed as well. We need to make investments that have an eternal impact. And it's about caring for the less fortunate and caring for the spiritually poor. We've been given gifts, whether it be financial or talents, and we are to use those. We have a responsibility to use it in serving others. And so use today's opportunities as investments in tomorrow's dividends. Help win people to Christ. Help encourage a fellow Christ follower. Help those who are suffering now. Because as you do that, it transforms their lives here and now, but it also has an eternal impact. Be generous with your wealth. Make kingdom investments. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for just, we can look to you and we see that you are a giver. We just have to look at the cross and we see that. And you, you give life. And so we go from here, and Lord, may we get that equation right. We are managers with all that you've given. Help us to use it wisely in the ways that we've talked about today. We love you, and that is our deepest desire, to use and be faithful stewards of what you've given. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.